Welcome, I am Aaron Giesbrecht, head QB trainer and owner of Big Air Academy located in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. And you are tuned in to my podcast called Talking QBs with Coach Gies, a podcast dedicated to the Canadian quarterback and offensive football. And today on our 11th episode, we have head coach for the Carlton Ravens, Steve Samara. How's it going, coach? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on. I'm looking forward to picking your brain today. Should be fun. So, Coach, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about biomechanics uh, in terms of quarterback training these days. I find, you know, I'm 38 years old. I I haven't played football uh, since 2004. So in my mind, kind of the teaching and um, the mechanics that I was taught growing up, kind of old school. Um, Obviously, when I transitioned into coaching, I took those skills, what I learned, and, and talk to my quarterbacks. Um, being now 16 years in the game uh, and running my quarterback academy for five years now, you know I'm I'm seeing more evidence of kind of the the biomechanic teachings and whatnot. And and I was I would say on it just honestly I was a little ignorant in the past to kind of that way of thought. And I think uh, it just seemed a little complicated, maybe a little sciency for me. And I thought that uh, you know my belief has always been that quarterback play is more of an art form than a necessarily a set skill. Um, I'm just interested in, in how you, um, your philosophies on how you coach your quarterbacks and, and what you think about biomechanics. Is that something that you use uh, in your training? Uh, it's an interesting thing. And I can tell you, I haven't done it for a long time and then kind of stepping away from it for the last few years. And then now it's kind of jumping back. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's been interesting is, Um, A lot of things that I originally believed in um, are still there, but now I think I believe things have gotten a little bit tighter. So when you talk about biomechanics, um, yes, I I do believe that there is proper biomechanics in in ball delivery. Um, I think some of the things that have maybe evolved away from is, you know, even things like drops and and how you have to hitch before you throw and all those kind of things. I think there's other components that you can uh, uh, take advantage of to before you um, before you have to deliver a ball. Mm-hmm. How fast and how accurate you deliver a ball are all important things. So we ran this um, in the um, in the fall. Okay. So again, uh, we're a little bit. Uh, far away but uh, there's our quarterback here mm-hmm. and and again to me the biggest thing that we can get him to do is right away what I like about um, his setup yeah. is one where his eyes are and his eyes are downfield and as you can see his his drop mm-hmm. uh, in preparation for delivery he's got a nice wide base yeah he's his feet are underneath him uh, if you draw a line right down to, to between them, mm-hmm. he's got a nice, uh, you know, the cross, yep. as they call it, right there, where his shoulders are square, his weight's underneath his uh, his feet. He's a little wide, maybe, in this instance, mm-hmm. but um, as you can see from this, um, he's made a decision and a read, and with that, he's now cocked it, Balls on his back shoulder, which is where you want it before delivery. Right. His step, you can see he's coming over his front knee. 
Uh, again, this is obviously a deep throw, so he does have a bit of a lean back on this. Mm -hmm. And a nice follow-through rotation. You can see the closed shoulder. Yep. Um, and you can see the fact that uh, the angle tilt, uh, because he's throwing a ball of this nature. Um, we'll go to the next clip where... Sure. It'll be a bit of a different throw again, but things have to stay consistent. As you can see, eyes, number one, balls in a good cradle position, mm -hmm. right at his, uh, right on the right uh, uh, breastbone. Yeah. And as you can see, this is, and this is for every quarterback, this throw um, to the right is always the hardest because the tendency is to, to, over rotate and open it too far and mm -hmm. fall off. You can see his weight is on that back leg. He's falling a bit, but not too bad. Like you can see, he keeps his body in pretty good position. Yeah. And with that, he gets a fairly accurate throw. So if I went back to, um, again, as you notice, it's more of a shuffle here. Yeah. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to keep the weight underneath him. He's trying to keep his shoulder square. Um, he's got his axis right down his body. So he's not, uh, he's now throwing a more, um, you know, one ball, I guess, if you want to call it, it's more on a line. Mm -hmm. And what I like is notice when his left hand comes off the ball, he's got, to me, this is a, um, I guess if you want to call it a bit of old school, it's the push-pull theory. Mm -hmm. You're pushing back with the ball, and then you're pulling through with this arm, and that gives and generates more force. And you can see the rotation right here in his hip. Right. And I think the other thing that is important here is to see, even though he was in a wide base here, uh -huh. All he's doing is he's turning his foot. It's a six-inch step. He's not striding into the throw. Mm -hmm. He's rotating his hip. And if you look at his belt buckle, his belt buckle is in a direct line with the uh, with the quarterback with the receiver, um, which uh, ensures accuracy. Um, you know, you see the overstriders, and they have a tendency, and the ball will sail. Yeah. Um, Okay, so, you know, just from what you're saying here, Coach, when you're teaching your quarterbacks, I know for me, I'm more of a of a ground-up kind of guy. I, I start with the ground, I start with the base, and I kind of work up. I know some coaches kind of do it the opposite way. Um, do you have a, a preference when you're teaching your quarterbacks? Well, yeah, I, I would agree with you. If you want to talk about ground-up, your most important thing that you're going to throw a football with are your feet. Right. If your feet are in a good position and then now, uh, you know, just going over it with our uh, quarterback coach, Josh Sokobi, and we were talking about, like, I use the term and I got this from my uh, my old coach back at St. Avax way back. It's a summation of forces. It's a, okay. we're transitioning from the ground yeah. where we're generating some push. We've got a nice knee bend. We're rotating the hips. We're driving through with the arm, and the ball snaps off our wrist and follows through with the finger. So uh, I'm in agreement. I think you need to 
You're never going to be an accurate passer unless your feet are doing their job. Right. Okay, Coach. Well, switching gears a little bit, the last time that we had a conversation, um, we were talking about some offensive stuff, uh, and you had made mention that uh, this upcoming season um, you were taking over uh, offensive uh, coordination and play calling at Carleton. Um, so, you know, what uh, what kind of went into that decision, and, and what are some of your uh, offensive philosophies that you're going to carry through? Yeah, it, I mean, it was, uh, I guess, a difficult decision. Um, had somebody here, uh, our offensive coaches have been here for a long time, but um, just felt at this point in the in sort of evolution of our program, I guess, that a, a change was needed, and, and kind of from my standpoint, um, you know, this was sort of my thing that I that I love to do. You know, I'm very passionate about offense. I love offense, uh, and you know, I, I put it out there. And uh, you know, we had good applicants, but I realized at the end of the day that this is something that that I want to that I want to get back doing. And um, you know, I, I'm excited about it. And yeah. I can't lie, it's you know. It makes me smile just mentioning it. So, That's great. <laughs> um, and I, when you talk about philosophy, it's interesting. We've been just going through a whole um, process about, um, you know, what is going to be the offensive philosophy and how does that fit into the team philosophy and what's the culture of our program and. You know, uh, the simple things are, I believe in speed. Um, I love speed on offense. I think um, it's a, we play on a super large field. Right. And with that, you need to utilize your speed uh, horizontally and vertically. I think that if you don't do those things, um, then you're cheating yourself a little bit on the, on the field. Um, I love to play physical football. Our, you know, our receivers, uh, when you talk about physical, most times you don't talk about receivers, but I want our receivers to be downfield blocking. Uh, I want them to understand that um, the philosophy is pretty simple. If our old line gets us the first five, our back gets us the next five, and the receivers take us home. And if we can, uh, you know, play within that uh, mentality, right. uh, we have a chance to be successful. And and I'd say, um, you know. It's kind of the cliche, uh, one of all cliches where, you know, we're going to take advantage of what the defense gives us and, and so on. And uh, but that's but that is true. I mean, mm -hmm. to me, you know, you, you have to scope game plan, prepare, prepare, excuse me, and then um, and be able to execute the game plan that you have. And, and you have to be confident that it's going to work and you have to have your players uh, buy into it. Right. Oh, that's great insight, Coach. Um, maybe you're able to, uh, you, you got it pulled up here, maybe you can show us maybe a, a bread and butter passing concept, something that uh, you guys run in your offense that you can kind of talk me through what the routes and the QB reads are. For sure. Are you still able to see this? Yeah, I can still see, yeah. Okay, perfect. Okay, so uh, this is, to me, this is a standard of play as you're going to, as you're going to find. And again, uh, I apologize that it's, uh, it's not real, real, real football right now, but this good. is the, this is the best we were able yeah. to come up with in the fall. So, right. uh, I'll start, uh, I'll start on the outside. I'll work our way in. Sure. Um, basically what we want here is 
we want to we want to hook and we if you notice the spacing we want to stay wide on the field i want to force a corner or anybody that has this low area to have to expand to that right so that'll be his road as you can see we're already starting to to run the drive and the under mm -hmm. um Unfortunately, without any O-lineman, I think he probably just blew up the guard, forget <laughs> the tackle. Um, and he's going to uh, climb to, you know, in that five to six yard range. Okay. Um, our number three receiver here, his job is to get vertical and blow the top off and control the free safety and anyone else that may be um, a high player, as you can see. By just him getting a good vertical push here, mm -hmm. um, that's driven the half and the Sam. Right. To so the weak side, again, we run the we run that hook. Um, again, trying to control these outside players. And then our number two receiver will run uh, the deep end. And so the whole philosophy behind this play is is that depending on where we high low yeah which in this case would be this guy our quarterbacks read is pretty simple it's going to be uh this which would be or this mm -hmm. although this is obviously a little bit more challenging but we are in the middle of the field right. these would be uh what we would call our alert throws mm -hmm. and in that instance if we see uh this coverage where they're trying to play high, yeah. play a four high look. We should take this throw now. Right. Now, he didn't take that right away. Mm -hmm. His eyes went to the, in this instance, the will. Yeah. So he's staring down the will. As soon as he sees the will settle his feet, now we're working that horizontal seam. Mm -hmm. And boom. Nice. And again, because of... Because of our vertical push this way, yeah. we have driven coverage. Because we were able to get these hooks here and here, uh -huh. it did force an expansion of the defense. And what it did is it has eventually opened up that horizontal window and we're looking at anywhere between 14 and 16 yards. Okay, so is this a play call that you would that you would call on any down and distance, or is this you know more like second and long situation? How do how do you feel about it? I I think it's in any down play, and you know I guess if you want to talk about offensive philosophy, going back to that statement, the mm -hmm. thing that I would say is, I think every play um, has, should have the capacity to be run on any down and distance, and in this instance. Um, when I look at this, I could say, you know, Throw the drag. if we got a, a man contour coming and, you know, he was chasing here, yeah. that might be a pretty good matchup. That's the Sam backer against the receiver, right? you know, or does the half have to chase him all the way across the field and through this mm -hmm. natural pick? Yeah. Um, if we get, like I said, if we get some type of three or four where we got definite vertical push, mm -hmm. We wanna we wanna be able to take these throws. Take those alerts. Um, yeah. And as you can see, if we don't get pressure and we get a, a free safety middle of the field, mm -hmm. um, our back is taught replace the window. Okay. If we're gonna run the crosser that way, yeah. let's bring the back back into the window. And you can see 
these guys are influenced by the back, mm -hmm. which in turn yeah, opens even it. makes that window bigger. Right. No, I love that. That's great, Coach. Okay, thank you very and, much. And we'll do, just so you know, we yep. do a combination of this. Like, this is just uh, one part of it. Mm -hmm. He might run the crosser. He might run right. the vertical. We might skate him. He runs the crosser. So yeah. the, the concept doesn't necessarily change, mm -hmm. um, although the um, the plays do. And I, I would like to go back to the quarterback since we yeah. mentioned him earlier. Sure. If you look at his platform he's throwing off of, mm -hmm. he's got a nice bend in his knee. Um, he's getting a good pull here with his off arm. Um, his eyes are straight on target. And you can see a good rotation through his core yeah. um, and delivers a strike. Yeah, no, that looks great to me, Coach. Back at it for the second quarter with Coach Gies and Coach Samara. So, Coach, I'm, I'm interested in your, your background. Uh, when did you start playing the game of football? Where are you from? Talk to me about your uh, growing up and, and playing the game of football. For sure. Uh, I, uh, I'm a born and raised guy from uh, Halifax. Okay. And um, the first time I, uh, I got a chance to uh, get involved in football, I was 12. And um, a sort of a group of us that all lived in the same neighborhood, uh, all kind of discovered it at the same time and uh, basically played it right up until grade 11. And then uh, our high school uh, disbanded our program in grade 12. Oh, no. So to be honest with you, I thought I thought my days were done. And mm -hmm. um, I went to St. Evax and uh, took phys ed down there and said, oh, what the heck, I'll, I'll walk on and see what happens and end up uh, sticking around and uh, making it and, you know, redshirting that first year and okay. getting some playing time. Uh, in my later career, I wouldn't say that I uh, was ever going to set the world ablaze at a receiver position. Okay, you were a receiver. Uh, it sure was fun play, and that's for sure. Okay. And, um, yeah, it, it, would you ask about uh, coaching, and yeah. did I think about that at the time? No, no. not really. Um, it was just, you know, I just love playing. I, I love football, and uh, when I graduated, I – I uh, moved to Toronto like everybody did back in the, the late 80s, early 90s to get a job and right. uh, was teaching elementary school and made a decision uh, that I don't think I was going to live in Toronto the rest of my life. So mm -hmm. head back to Halifax and uh, went to St. Mary's and, and because I had a couple of years of eligibility left, I, I played one more year. And okay. Uh, which was I played at St. Mary's, which was a real interesting experience, having obviously gone from one program to the other. And mm -hmm. uh, it got me a little bit more into the the football world. And I started thinking about it. Yeah, that was uh, a, a shot in the dark uh, kind of coaching thing. Um, John Stevens was the head coach. And I saw him at a golf tournament and he was talking about uh, coaching and looking for some people to to help out and he asked if i'd like to go down to training camp and i was like eh, that'd be great sure. i really didn't know what the heck i was going to do but i helped with the receivers or whatever and mm -hmm. uh and it just kind of took off from there and he was like well can you come game days because i was still living in halifax and okay. the two and a 
two plus hour drive back then was a, <laughs> a little little far to do daily anyway so right. um and then that kind of led into uh in 96 and 97 i went down and was a i guess what you would call a full-time coach uh, i took a leave of absence from my job and mm-hmm. uh, got a chance to really kind of jump into coaching and uh kind of got the bug and you know once i had that once the rest the first part was fun but that was like really fun it was like you felt like you were a real coach then and and after that blake uh, nil got hired at saint mary's and he brought me on as his oc and okay uh did that for up until 2011 and and he did that uh he uh he left at the at the end of the 2005 season to go to calgary and so i ended up taking over as head coach uh starting in 2006 and Mm -hmm. Uh, right up to 2011 and then this opportunity came up and it was sort of a, a time for a change of parting a ways for them parting a ways for me and mm-hmm. uh, been here and starting up from day one scratch uh, at Carleton. Yeah and speaking of which uh, I was doing a little research last night on, on your program and yourself and uh, I, you know I don't know a lot about the OUA myself so I'm trying to learn as I go here and uh I watched a really cool YouTube video of your team. I think it was called Season Four. Um, yes. There's a lot of cool content in in that, and, and really, uh, you know, kind of opened my eyes to your program and and uh, you know you restarting the program. But uh, one of the things that I that I didn't uh, didn't know about was the rivalry Panda game. Can you tell me a little bit about that rivalry? Yes, this is uh, to be blunt. It is the best biggest rivalry in U sports football and has mm-hmm. been from I think it was some of the guys will get mad if I don't remember exactly but I think it was in the early 50s it started okay and um, it grew so when the when obviously Carlton came back the first year uh, which was our 2013 season we had the game at um, Ottawa U right. we packed the place uh, the next year we ended up with uh, I believe it was about 10,000 people and probably the last three years we've sold it out to, you know, about 24,500 wow. people. That's great. And, and we sold this in, well, I don't even remember what year now, but I think it was 2019 when the last time we played it, sure. uh, we sold it out seven days before the game uh, started. It, it's the rivalry is, uh, is second to none. I mean, it's students, it's, uh, it's, you know they have a, a great time it's the community embraces it um you know you're either on the north side or the south side of the stadium and uh it it really does a lot for both programs to be honest and, and you know it's it's now become the biggest game of the year right that's outstanding so just for the people that don't know it's carlton is playing ottawa right that that's yes. the rivalry game the ggs versus the ravens yeah exactly right and has been for for like i say many years uh you know but getting the program back you know we went they won the first one we went on a run Mm -hmm. and then now they've won the last couple and and it seems like um the panda games anything happens like yeah you know we had a hail mary um last play of a game 
touchdown to beat them. We had a double overtime game. Like it just, you just never know what you're gonna get. Yeah, it doesn't matter what the record is. You're in for a you're in for a war that day, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's really cool. Okay, coach. Well, we're gonna get into our three minute warning here. We're gonna play a repeat game. Uh, the last uh, contestant I had was Coach Jeff Stead, a friend of yours, friend of mine. And we're going to play the game, Who Would You Rather Start? So it's QBs. Okay. I'm going to give you a pair of quarterbacks. They're from the same era, the same league. They'll be pro quarterbacks, NFL, CFL. Uh, there is one college that I'll ask you about as well. Um, and it's just you pick the quarterback that you would start. Okay. You ready to go? Yeah. All right, here we go. I'm a little nervous. I can't Well, lie. don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. You'll be all right. <laughs> here we go. Okay, starting off. Who would you rather start, Brett Favre or Troy Aikman? Okay, uh, what's the context of the game? Regular season or playoff? Uh, let's go playoff. Playoff? Yeah. It's, it's your guy. Troy... It's your team. Uh, I... My team, I would probably want, uh, I'd probably go with Brett Favre because I think Brett is going to, you know, he's going to stretch the field, you know, he's going to make mistakes, Mm -hmm. you know, there's no question he's (laughs) been known to throw some bad picks in his career, but he also can make plays. True. And he'll make some plays with his legs. Um, he'll save you a couple first downs when you maybe you shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it was, you know, if I was coaching, if you asked me which team I was coaching, I had the Cowboys, I'd want Aikman being my guy. But right. my team, I definitely want uh, I want Brett Favre. Okay, I like it. Okay, switching gears to the CFL. How about uh, Matt Dunnigan or Danny McManus? Oh boy. Well, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Matt Dunnigan threw for like 700 yards one game. Yes. So um, he's got that in him. Yeah. I, I'm going to go with uh, Matt Dunnigan. You like that? Okay. okay. <laughs> Even though uh, the things I've heard about uh, Danny McManus and his uh, uh, his ability to run an offense and all those things. Mm-hmm. Again, I guess I'm going with the gunslingers. Uh, okay. I like today, it. You know. <laughs> I like it. Well, I got a couple more here for you. Some, uh, okay. What about uh, Dan Marino or Jim Kelly? Uh, that's just so we're on the same page. It uh, You could have put Dan Marino up against anybody, anybody and it's always Dan Marino. Okay. okay. I like He's it. my guy. Yeah. From day one, I am a Dan Marino fan. So, okay. uh that's a no-brainer for me. I like it. That's excellent. Okay, how about uh, some athletic quarterbacks? Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson? Oh, boy. Again, as a Dolphins fan, I'm I'm feeling the heat about do we, uh, do we make, make a, a move? pull the trigger on this big trade possibly yeah. or not. But uh, I really like Russell Wilson. Mm. I just feel like what he's done and done so consistently with uh, um, – the uh, Seahawks. Seahawks, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It, it, you know, Deshaun Watson, I think, you know, his future, obviously, he's a 25-year-old and, you mm. know, has got a great career ahead of him. But what I saw, I've watched a lot of Seahawks games this year for whatever reason, maybe yeah. maybe those are the ones that were on. And I was so impressed by Russell Wilson. Yeah, I agree. He's, he's a phenomenal quarterback. Okay, how about uh, some really good CFL current guys? How about Bo Levi Mitchell or Mike Riley? Uh, 
Hmm. I think I'll go Bo. Um, I, I like, uh, you know, it just seems to be a guy that seems to always come up with some big plays. I think, uh, Riley has always played in some good systems and, and really managed those things well. But I think Bo is a, a guy that can kind of maybe, uh, give you that extra spark. Okay. I like that. How about, uh, here's a classic for you. This is going to be a tough one. How about Joe Montana or John Elway? There was a, something I saw about Joe Montana when that I read that he walked in the huddle and they were in the, you know, throes of a, a big drive and and he was joking around with yeah. the team about and and when I heard that story, mm-hmm. it made me just love Joe Montana even more. Just the that whole next level of being able to to control your offense to have that confidence that you're going to execute it and yeah he's impressive yeah that's the story of uh when he saw john candy in the stands right that's who it was thank you yeah Yeah, i couldn't remember but i love that story no i remember that that's awesome okay how about uh cfl doug flutie or damon allen doug flutie yeah uh love you know damon allen put up some ridiculous numbers but from what i've uh the stories i heard about doug flutie and his just pure knowledge of the game and his competitiveness Mm. uh i love that you know that's awesome i was a young kid when he was playing in the cfl but to me there's no better player that's ever played in the cfl for that for that time frame he was up here he he was phenomenal so uh, i'm with you with doug flutie um okay another tough one here how about uh drew Brees or aaron Rodgers? You know, I know a lot of people have probably dumped on Aaron Rodgers because, you know, they've only won one Super Bowl in his time or whatever. But yeah. uh, as good as Drew Brees has been and has put up great numbers, mm-hmm. I, I always feel like he's put up numbers because of A, his system, and B, because of the era. Where Aaron Rodgers, it just seems to, you know, like those Hail Mary plays. Yeah. And like he just has. He has that something special about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would be very happy to have him on my team. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Okay. Uh, here's two guys that don't normally get a lot of credit. I'm interested in this. How about Tony Romo or Eli Manning? Now, I I do like Tony. Mm-hmm. I think he did some great things and had a great career. Yeah. But Eli won. That's At right. the end of the day, Eli found a way. I mean, mm-hmm. he's got two Super Bowls. Yeah. I mean, what? I know. <laughs> you know like, really, when I you know. think about it, it's uh, it's pretty impressive. It is for sure. And, like, who he beat and, you know, how big those moments exactly. were. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I can't remember that guy's name he beat. Is it, he was all right, though, right? Yeah, like, he was Brady all right. Or something. Yeah, something like that, yeah. <laughs> okay, last one. Here we go. A uh, couple guys coming in the NFL draft. Who would you start, Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields? Trevor Lawrence. I think from my, the games that I've watched him play, mm-hmm. besides, I'll say, besides the last one, yep. which that was probably the first time that I ever thought there was a little chink in the armor, mm-hmm. I think he's a generational talent. I think he's going to go and do some amazing things in Jacksonville. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people are saying he's kind of that can't-miss quarterback, very similar to the the John Elway, Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck kind of pedigree. Yes. So, yeah, I, I feel the same way. That's excellent. Thank you. Back at it with Coach Gies in the third quarter. So, Coach, uh, you've got a couple local Manitoba guys, quarterbacks that are on your roster that you've recently signed, T. Jesse and Reed Van Conant. Uh, I'm interested, when you are recruiting quarterbacks, is there a particular criteria that you use? You know, I know some people talk about, you know, they won't recruit a quarterback unless he's six feet tall. Do you have sort of a, a checklist of certain things that you're looking for when you're recruiting a quarterback? Uh you know, that's a great question because, you know, like the physical, physical attributes of a quarterback, mm -hmm. um, will normally determine kind of their strengths. And then it's more or less as you're looking at recruiting them, do those strengths match what you would like to do on offense? Okay. And, you know, to me, uh, both Reed and, and T have got those intangibles, you know, they're both fluid in their, in their movement mm -hmm. uh they both can throw the ball and they both have this um sort of um you know confident they breed a confident without necessarily having to be telling people they're confident mm -hmm. you can just see them it kind of the what we were talking about before when uh, joe montana in the huddle like right. You know, it, to me, the biggest thing that a quarterback can do, like I'm not going to recruit a guy that obviously can't throw a football. Mm -hmm. So we'll put that kind of part that one. But it's how do they handle the huddle? How do they manage a game? Um, you know, do they do those little extra things? Like if it's second and five and they drop back to pass and, you know, there's an opening and they run for six. Like those are the things that I think are uh, hugely important. Uh you know, be able to, you know, with only really having two downs before you got to make some big decisions on third, you need a guy that's going to be smart, make good decisions, um, and hopefully steal you a couple first downs every uh, every game when you need it the most. Mm -hmm. And then how about, like, are there any, um, you know, physical intangibles that you, you see in, in terms of quarterbacks that are coming out that maybe – they supersede that criteria a little bit just based on their performance, maybe success that they've had at, at you know, a high school level or provincial team level. Um, I'm thinking of a guy here locally a number of years ago, Drennan Bush. He, uh, he was a great high school quarterback and had super, super success at uh, the provincial level. He was recruited really highly by the Manitoba Bisons and, and wasn't really um, on the same stature as the other quarterbacks, a little bit smaller, a little bit more of a, of an athletic quarterback. Um, he had some success at the, at the U of M and then also with the Winnipeg Rifles. But uh, he's somebody that I think about that, you know, doesn't necessarily, you know, fit the mold uh, to what we'd, you know, necessarily be looking for. So uh, have you have you came across athletes like that in the past that you, they're kind of like can't miss and maybe they don't fit the criteria, but they're too good to pass up? Absolutely. And I think uh, what's interesting when you say that, to me, this is when the coaching comes in. Mm -hmm. And as the coach and the offensive coordinator, you have to be able to tweak what you're doing that fit the skill set of your quarterback. And, right. you know, I, I can tell you that in, uh, you know, in 07, we played Manitoba in a Vanier Cup. And right. we had lost our quarterback where the offense for the year was sort of designed. He was a, 
athletic guy and so on and so forth. And the backup was not as obviously not as athletic. Mm -hmm. And we end up going into that week and our game plan was drastically changed to meet the skills of the quarterback. And, and I think if you can find, you know, that sort of special guy, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's your job to make sure that you bring out the strengths that they have. Like you can't ask a special athlete who maybe is a decent passer Mm -hmm. to be a pocket passer, you know, or vice versa. You can't ask, um, a quarterback who is much more of a pocket passer to be, uh, you know, oh, we're going to run, you know, quarterback isos and powers and all that. Like it just, you have to kind of, you know, and that's the advantage of recruiting. We should be as coaches smart enough to go, this is the guy we want because of these intangibles they bring. Mm -hmm. I think that's so true, Coach, pointing into, uh, you know, fitting fitting the player into your scheme, right? We all have our, our systems, but you have to be able to, you know, take that talent and and be able to put him in a situation where he can be successful, right? So uh, I'm in total agreement with that. Um, how about in terms of the quarterback mindset? What are some things that are maybe not X's and O's uh, in terms of how you want your quarterbacks to operate and how to think and how to believe in themselves? Are there certain things that you guys work on uh, in, in terms of those areas? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's difficult. I mean, you need... I think the one interesting part about when you're recruiting a quarterback and they're on your roster and they've spent years with you is, is just that rapport you develop with them. Mm -hmm. I mean, they have to be an extension of you and your personality on the field. And if they don't get to that point, you know, they're not going to be successful. So you try to find people that you're, you're going to bond with and, and, and have a bit of a a rapport as to me, your quarterback uh, if he is not personality-wise similar to what you are, mm-hmm. it's gonna you're gonna struggle. And you know you can have a guy in there who is um, you know pretty strong mentally. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something I want to see. I want to make sure that the team. And I always say, you when you walk in the huddle, you're gonna have all those guys looking at you. Are you able to handle that in the toughest moments? Do they believe in you? Mm-hmm. And to me, when you talk about can you coach that intangible, well, yeah. you, the only part that you can coach is ensuring that their um, knowledge of the offense is strong so that when they do get in there, mm-hmm. they feel confident, like, hey, guys, we're going to execute this. Uh, and your quarterback just has to be a leader. And though that's something that when you're recruiting or just watching – anyone play that you see you can tell when the guys gravitate to your quarterback and you can tell when the quarterback is just a guy and usually if he's just a guy Mm -hmm. that team doesn't win it's just proven i mean it got proven again uh you know a couple weeks ago you know how can tom brady go from you know the patriots for all those years to tampa Mm -hmm. yes they can say it a million different ways but when you listen to all the interviews of people around him they talk about his ability to lead to be that leader and i think that is the key quality no that's outstanding insight coach i I really appreciate that um you know switching gears a little bit here and getting into carlton um so in 2012 you were hired to uh to restart the carlton ravens program 
Can you tell, talk about that and tell me what kind of went into that? Uh, yeah, stupidity, I think, on my part, <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> um, I remember uh, it was January of 2012, and I, um, I get there, and there's really no... We had our locker room hadn't been built at that point. We had no offices, and I was in a bit of a storage closet. Was sort of where our offices were, and I had okay. a piece of paper and a pencil. And I remember sitting there going, "I have no idea what to do. <laughs> like, legitimately, there yeah. is so many things to do, mm -hmm. and I don't even know where to start." And uh, but I'll tell you it. It's an exciting, it was a really, really an exciting process to be able to have your stamp on things. This is one of my funny stories is mm -hmm. that we're in the, in an architecture meeting talking about the design of the, uh, of the locker room and where things should go. Sure. And the word HVAC comes up and I'm sure. like, so I'm just sitting there and I'm like, I have no idea what they're talking about. And I'm <laughs> like, okay, finally guys, what is an HVAC? And they yeah. kind of like you know, give you that look on the side and it's like, you know, it's like the air circulation. <laughs> oh, sorry. You know, like, yeah, those are the kind of things that I was learning along the way, like, mm -hmm. you know, how to put uh, your locker, how to set them up so that you get maximum space, how we can, um, all those little details. And then obviously when it got to the football part, you know, we essentially had a whole year to recruit. Mm -hmm. And it was it was an interesting story, and you know I'm not sure if I truly believe in it um, now, but at the time it was be first. Yeah. You know, be the first guy. You got an opportunity to come in and uh, be the first in this program after all those years. And you know now that it's been a bit more established, you know mm -hmm. the story is a little bit different. But but that was really neat. It was neat to see. You know, an 18-year-old kid look at you and go, "Wow, like I, I'm gonna come in and make a difference." And yeah. you know, it, it was, it was an amazing experience. And now I feel like, okay, we're, we're at the part where we're an established program now, and mm. it, you know, it's time to start getting some of those uh, big wins. Yeah, there you go. You're ready for it. Um, I, I can definitely speak on, uh, you know, your facilities in 2017 when I was uh, the offense coordinator for the Rifles. We came in to play Ottawa in, a, in our first regular season game. And the field, uh, the, you know, the facilities, everything was outstanding. So uh, you've got quite the, uh, quite the place to practice and play and, and run your program. So that's, that's pretty cool. Um, and we have good HVAC. There you go. You got the airflow <laughs> happening. There you go. Okay, well, you know, that's pretty huge. But you also another big thing is uh, you're the head coach for Team Canada U19. Uh, how long have you been doing that? Uh, what are some of the experiences, uh, the locations of the tournament, and maybe some players that you've worked with along the way? Yeah, it's been a, a real interesting uh, thing. And uh, I saw Warren Craney doing this, mm -hmm. and I was like, wow, that this just looks awesome. And I talked to him about, you know, should I apply? And then he just said, you know, it's a lot of work at times. It can be frustrating at times, but he said it is super rewarding. And so in that 2016 season, mm -hmm. um, I got a chance to kind of be uh, an observer. Okay. I went down to the International Bowl, watched how Warren ran the program. Then they went to uh, uh, Harbin, China. Mm -hmm. And I went over there for a bit to watch how the they got themselves organized and set up the team and 
you know, that team went on to win a, a gold and then, you know, he kind of passed the reins on and it was like, ah, oh, great. Thanks a lot. Like now we're defending gold medal, you right. know, and now it's, it's me not to screw it up kind of thing. And, uh, but I think what was really made it fun is like, you had the opportunity to go to the Canada cups, you know, look at the guys, figure out who you think you could build a team with, you know, all those qualities we were just talking about and finding those guys and, and then to be able to go from there. And, uh, we ended up in Mexico city in the 2018 world championships. And, you know, the things that it's funny that, you know, obviously winning the gold medal, beating Mexico, there was about 30,000 people in the, uh, 1968 Olympic stadium that they, uh, for those Olympics. And, uh, it was just the whole thing, but it's, you know, it's the interaction you had with the players and the coaches that made those experiences something else. And I'll tell you, you know, I don't know if the people of football Canada would enjoy me being around too long, but I, I would stay doing this as long as I can. I, I really, I like seeing the different players from different air from, you know, across the country, guys you've recruited that told, you no. yeah, (laughs) (laughs) the guys that, you know, uh, we have a couple guys on our, on our Carlton roster that went to other programs and Mm then, um, end up back at Carlton, you know, because of the, the relationships we built. Back at it for the fourth quarter, Coach Gies and Coach Steve Samara. So, Coach, um, I was recently on a webinar with uh, Athlete Now. Uh, Coach Jeff Stead runs it, and he had Paul Lapolis on. And uh, Coach Lapo was talking about building culture within your program. Uh, and one of the things that he kind of referenced that I thought was – that really hit home for me was he talked about um, not, you know, blasting, ripping into your players – you know, in film sessions or meetings, you know, after a, a crappy loss. Um, and kind of what he talked about was just that, you know, our players are pretty intelligent. They're smart, especially when you're coaching at the higher level. They likely, you know, already know what mistake they made. It's already been, you know, made attention to whether it's their position coach or, or however that kind of came about. These guys also know when they personally make a mistake, right? And uh, kind of his message was just that we don't need to necessarily, you know, put them through that agony again and, and relive that. And, and that hit home because I know when I was a player uh, that I had a couple coaches that were like that and it didn't work for me. And that was, you know, I haven't played since 2004, so it's been a number of years. But I think especially in today's age that that kind of mentality doesn't really work. I don't think it's very effective. Uh, I don't think the guys will play for you if you embarrass them in front of the team and, and point out who made a mistake or who apparently cost you the game or whatever. But uh, I'm interested in, in how do you talk to your players? What is your approach in those film sessions, in those meetings, maybe after a bad loss? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I mean, straight up, Lapo is a pretty smart guy. And, yeah. and I think the thing that... I, that I would agree with a hundred percent is he gets people. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you lose a game, it, it's not like people are happy. Right. Everybody's upset by it. Um, and there's probably some reasons for it. Mm-hmm. And everybody in those, in those situations are responsible coaches, players, you know, everybody on your, 
uh, on your group mm-hmm. has some responsibility to that. And, you know, it, it's something that I've learned over the years is that, you know, if you want to be hard on your team, be hard on them after a win. Mm-hmm. You know, after a loss, they don't, they already know what went on. They already know the end result of that. Yeah. That's the time that you want to coach them up and make them feel like, okay, we, because you have to build them up. If you keep ripping them down at mm-hmm. some point, they're not going to stop playing for you. And, you know, we have a couple words that we use as our sort of cornerstones within our culture and it's communication. Like, I want our players to be able to communicate to me and I want to be able to communicate to them. And if mm-hmm. once we get that to that point, we're going to develop trust. Right. And when you have trust now, if I do get a little bit maybe upset, it, yeah. it's not a, a culture breaking moment. It's right. just like, okay, then we just move on and we're back to, to normal. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, I think guys, when they see that you're passionate about it, and you care about it, but not to the detriment of embarrassing, I think was the word you used, yeah. you know, your, your student athletes. I, I don't think you gain anything out of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want them to be on my side because I think, you know, in a group, as a group, we're going to work better together and we're going to accomplish more than if all of a sudden he signaled out, their signaled out, and those guys start to feel like the world's against them the other players start yeah. to look at them as a, a bit of a scapegoat right. oh well he's the problem mm-hmm. that guy's the problem and um you know i i think if we can uh maintain those relationships i think you're gonna get you know what's the old saying you get more with sugar than uh than salt or yeah. whatever and uh i think in the if you uh treat it that way you're gonna have more success Right. And I, I think you hit on a great point in terms of like that relationship building. If I was in a quarterback only meeting and it's, you know, my quarterbacks that I've got that rapport with, okay, maybe I can be a little bit more honest than I would be in front of the entire team, right? Because it's just a better place and better time. And like you said, I think the players, if they know that you love them and you care about them, that they know that when you're talking to them, honestly, it's not to rip them down. It's, it's to help them. Right. So I think it's, it's all the approach. Um, in terms of uh, interesting point, if you don't mind, yeah. uh, on that is, um, I think it was um, Don Matthews said, the two people you never uh, rip mm-hmm. in front of your team as your quarterback and your kicker. Okay. And you know the other guys, yeah. maybe you can be a little harder on them, but you never let your quarterback or your kicker be seen in public as being somewhat. Uh, abused (laughs) i guess if you want to use that word and 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 again it goes back to what you just said about in the private of the meeting maybe Mm -hmm. you can be a little harder on them but not out of public yeah no i totally agree um so getting back about coach lapo he uh you know he's the head coach of the red blacks um you excited is the city excited to have him there and taking over the reins he uh, i'll say this Uh, he is an incredible person and um, we've had uh, the luxury of having a, a Zoom calls that he that we do every Friday, and, okay. and he's been one of the guys that has come on, and he's an open book with uh, with his knowledge, and uh, you can just see his passion for the game. And I think um, the city is really. I mean, I feel bad because we obviously didn't have the last year for yeah. him to kind of carry the momentum of the 
you know, the Grey Cup win and so on. Mm-hmm. But he is exactly what the city, you know, he's a family guy. He's a personable guy. He'll talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. He's passionate about football. I mean, I'm excited. That's good. <laughs> I, I can imagine that everybody else is as well. Mm-hmm. And then recently they've signed uh, Matt Nichols from the Bombers. Uh, you know, do you think that uh, he's going to be the starter come day one? Yeah. I think that, you know, honestly, that was when you talk about the perfect quarterback for the perfect system. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a proven winner. Right. Um, you know, he he understands Lapo and their offense and the philosophy. And he has the, the pedigree of winning. Mm-hmm. And I think he's just going to bring that to um uh, to the city and to the team, and uh, I think people are really going to get behind him. Yeah, I agree with you. I think he's a really good quarterback. He's underrated. I know in Winnipeg he took a lot of flack that I think was kind of unjust, and you know, obviously the way things kind of turned out for him in Winnipeg wasn't the greatest. But uh, but I think he's a good Q, and I think he's going to you know bring some solid QB play for the Red Blacks in the future. Um, interested if you saw the Trevor Lawrence Pro Day last week at all? Did you get, were you able to check it out? Yes, I did see some of it, absolutely. Okay. And wh- what do you think about him? Is he, you know, we kind of talked about him being a, a generational quarterback. Do you think it's like a no-brainer slam dunk that the Jags take him number one? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think they would be crazy to go in any other direction. Mm-hmm. Um, even trading away and trying to get a bunch of different picks, I don't think you're going to, you know, when you watch him in his pro day, his accuracy and just – you know, we talked about that poison uh, and his ability just to put the ball every time on the spot. I, I was so impressed. And, and I was impressed by, you know, we're in COVID. There's not usually a lot of people around. And yeah. not all those people were there. And he he didn't even, he didn't even break a sweat. Yeah. He just, it's what he does. And he does it better than anyone. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to be cheering for him because... Even if I'm not a Jags fan, I just think he's got something special that's going to be, uh, you know, 20 years from now, we're going to keep talking about how great of uh, a pick that was. Yeah, I, I can't uh, can't disagree with you there. In terms of the pressure, too, from that workout, he's got Urban Meyer, like, three feet from him the entire workout, you know? <laughs> so, uh, you're right. That's, there's a lot of pressure there, and he seems to handle it quite well. Definitely. Um, okay, Coach, we're getting to the end here. I'm interested. Who is your favorite quarterback of all time and why? Dan Marino, hundred percent. Um, no one is, I couldn't even tell you, I don't know about who my number two would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I liked about, uh, Dan was I followed him even, I guess I'm dating myself when I say this, but I, uh, you know, even at when he was at Pitt, mm-hmm. you know, and there was the thought, a lot of hype going into his senior year and maybe he didn't have the great year. And it was, you know, the 83 draft, the year of the quarterbacks and, mm-hmm. you know, all the guys picked ahead of him, and what I liked was when he got in there. Yeah, he just—you always felt you had a chance to win. Like there was that intangible he brought, and I—the game that just stands out in my mind is the '85 game, a Monday night against the Bears. Mm-hmm. Bears are undefeated. You know, 
they got to stop this or the 72 dolphins are going to, you know, yep. not be popping champagne. And, right. and he goes out and just absolutely lights them up under the biggest stage against the best defense that mm-hmm. teams have seen in years. And it, it just keeps going back to, you know, what he did. And when I think about, you know, what he had around him, yes, he had some good receivers, but they never had a true run game. Right. Defensively, they were always average at best. And, but it was just fun to watch him go out there and sling it. Mm-hmm. He was such a leader and such a quick release. Uh, I don't. I'm probably going to butcher this quote, but I, I I heard a quote and I don't know if it came from him or somebody talking about him. But it was like, "There's no defense for a perfect throw," right? Yeah. And yeah. and that kind of epitomizes you know Dan Marino. So I'm with you. Being a a big statue kind of pocket quarterback that I was back in the day. He was definitely one of my favorites. So uh, yeah, for sure. Dan Marino's a good, good dude. Um, okay, coach. Well, you know, we're at the end here. It's uh, been awesome to pick your brain here and uh, learn a lot about Carlton football and, and your background. I really appreciate you being on. I hope, uh, I hope this was enjoyable for you. Absolutely. This is great. Yeah. And I also want to thank uh, the listeners. It's been awesome. Lots of people following and it's growing every week and uh, we're able to get great guests like coach here. So thank you for everybody listening. And uh, yeah, so coach, you have a great evening. I appreciate, appreciate your time and we'll talk again. Absolutely. Thanks again. Appreciate it.